Stand Firm Ministries, Biblical Truth, taught by Dr. Shane Perez. Starting, diving into the book of Ezekiel. Last week I sort of did an introduction to the to the book of Ezekiel. Now we're going to look at, uh, today we're going to look at chapters 1 through 12. So I want to start out now by sort of giving you an overview. Remember we looked at this outline last week. Uh, chapters 1 through 24, this is how um, Ezekiel is broken up. It's the prophecies of judgment on Judah. Remember, this is a time when Babylon had overtaken Judah. But what happened was the king of Babylon come in there and got rid of the old king. And he appointed a new king, um, a Jewish king, but left the, they were still in charge, but they had to sort of submit to Babylon. Um, so in chapters 1 through 24, even though Babylon is sort of in control of Jerusalem, they're still able to exist and maintain. So during this time, Ezekiel is announcing uh, prophecies of judgment on Judah. Still, they're not following God, not being obedient to him. And honestly, by this time, Ezekiel says just judgment is coming. In chapters 25 through 32, we see judgment against seven foreign nations. And then chapters 33 through 39, after the fall, after Babylon, then comes in and totally decimates them. Uh, destroys the temple and just destroys everything. Then they're no longer um, really a, even a, a livable city. Not much remained at all. Uh, some people would remain afterwards, but their life was very challenging. But after the fall in chapters 33 through 39, we have the words of encouragement about Israel's restoration. And then um, the last part of the book, 40 through 48, is Ezekiel's vision of a new temple and a restored Israel. And the reason why I'm telling you all this, because I want to make sure you understand the big picture. And then now we're going to look at chapters 1 through 12, which consists of prophecies of judgment. Now what we're going to attempt to do is give you a summary of the first 12 chapters. Chapter 1. Ezekiel has a heavenly vision. Now we're not going to read through and get into detail all what he saw. But he saw some very interesting multi-faced creatures. And they had something very unique. Uh, moving under them or beside them was a will inside of a will. If you've been around uh, Bible teaching a long time, you may have heard many different sermons trying to explain exactly what all that looks like. For us, it's really hard to imagine. But what we do see here is Ezekiel is getting a glimpse of maybe what some things we will see in heaven. Multi-faced creatures, a will inside of a will, and they can represent a lot of different things. But this is what Ezekiel is seeing. But then above these creatures is a throne. And a man-like figure with brilliant light surrounding him is on that throne. This is what Ezekiel is describing in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, and we talked about this last week, is God is talking to uh, Ezekiel and telling him, I'm sending you to a people. And he warns him, gives him heads up. They're probably not going to listen. They're very rebellious and they're very stubborn. And he says that over and over and over again in that one chapter. So Ezekiel is aware of what is going on. But then we get in chapter 3 
where um, after he sort of tells them they're going to be rebellious people, he sort of takes them away from the vision and he puts them um, along the exile with the exiles in Babylon. It's very interesting because it says Ezekiel is depressed for seven days. Like he's just sitting there and he's just worn out. He can't believe what's going to happen and it's not good news. And anyway, he's depressed for seven days. And then God tells him and commissions him and lets him know that he is a watchman for Israel. And we're going to return to this a little later. Make sure you understand. First, we get a heavenly vision, then God makes clear his audience, and then he sort of gives them a mission and tells them his responsibility. Then Ezekiel chapter 4, God tells them to start doing some very unusual things, but what he's doing is he's giving the people, um, the exiles there, a visual illustration, sort of like a reenactment. What he tells Ezekiel to do is make a clay model of the city and make it look like it's under siege. Then he was told to lie on one of his side for 390 days. That is representing how long the siege is going to be. And then he switches over and says on his right side for 40 days. But what he was doing here is he wanted Ezekiel to give them an illustration, a visual illustration of what's going to happen to them. Then he also gives instruction on how during the siege, God is going to cut off the uh, food supply and that they would waste away. Then he has them to do something else. He gives them a symbolic warning here. Ezekiel was told to shave his head and to shave his beard. And then he shaved it, had his pile of hair, and then he divided his hair in three different piles. And what he was doing was he was giving them a symbolic gesture of what was going to happen to the people in Jerusalem. A third were going to die by plague and famine. A third was going to be chased and die by the sword. And then a third is actually going to scatter. Ezekiel chapter 6. We see that God is going to destroy the idols. He tells them that he's going to bring a sword against Judah and destroy all the high places. He's going to destroy the altars. And he gives an, an idea that he's going to destroy the people that worship the idols in front of the altars. So God is coming with his judgment. He's going to destroy the um, altars and the idols and the people that worship them as well. But he did say he's going to spare some people. And what he says, he's doing all this so that they will know that he is God. In Ezekiel chapter 7, we see God is telling them that he's about to judge them for their actions. It is time for their judgment. And he says that he's going to judge them according to their conduct, according to their actions. What they did matter to God. I think that's important to note because what we do matters to God. What we do represents our faith in God. Do we have faith in God or do we not? It's shown by our actions. Ezekiel chapter 8, we had vision of idolatry in the temple. This time Ezekiel has another vision. And God takes him into the temple and he sees the leaders and the people in there worshiping idols. 
Ezekiel chapter 9 is very interesting. God tells uh, one of his messengers to go around and put a mark on the forehead of certain people. What people did tell to put a mark on it was those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in the temple. God says that to start the judgment, start the slaughter, start the execution in the temple because he he told his messenger to mark the people and then he sent other messengers to go and start slaughtering the people. And everybody who didn't have the mark was slaughtered. Those that had the mark was spared. Well, who had the mark? Those that saw what was going on, those that understood that they had turned away from God and they were grieving, and they were lamenting, and they were sad because of it. Like that's very interesting. Because even though it didn't say the people were actively doing anything, God knew where their heart was. And it's very important to us as even in Ezekiel's day, for those people to understand what was going on around them was not right. I think the same thing goes for us. We need to make sure and look around and understand what's going on is not godly. It is not right. Ezekiel chapter 10, the glory of the Lord departs from the temple. We have visions of creatures again. The glory of God came in the temple about 1 Kings 8.16. And now we see in Ezekiel chapter 10 where God is departing from the temple. He was with the nation of Israel, with those people. And now we have a symbolic representation of now His Spirit is leaving the people. Ezekiel chapter 11, we have judgment on Israel's leaders. I put a picture of a pot there because he's talking about in this in this chapter that the leaders of Israel thought they were they thought they were the cream of the crop. The example they give in the in the text here is that they were a stew and the leaders thought they were the meat. They were the most important thing, the most precious part of the stew. Which is very interesting. And God says, No, you're not the meat. And in fact, this is Where my judgment is going to start is with the leaders here. Told them that they would fall by the sword. They had not followed God. And it says, but they had conformed to the standards of the nations around them. That's interesting. You hear a lot of talk now and comparing us. Wanting us to be like other nations. Well, if they're not Christian, godly nations, maybe we don't need to be like them. In fact, they need to be like us if we are a Christian nation. He lets them know that the people will scatter, but some will return. And when they do return, they'll return with a new spirit in them. And Ezekiel was telling this vision to the exiles in Babylon. In the last chapter, chapter 12... He dramatizes Israel's exit. I told him to go to the wall and dig a hole and have your belongings with you and let everybody see it. They're probably going to ask you questions. What are you doing? He's going to tell them this is what's going to happen. 
to the leaders and the people that are in Jerusalem. They're going to grab whatever they can and they're going to try to escape the city. That is how bad things are going to get. And God is telling them, I'm going to lay the entire city waste. I know Babylon has been there twice and they sort of kept everything intact. But my judgment is coming and it's all going to be gone. All going to be gone, destroyed, and a lot of people are going to be slaughtered. Now, at the end of chapter 12, we get that the people, the people heard it and maybe even partially believed it. But in their minds, they thought, well, this is going to happen in the distant future. And God warns them, no, it's not distant. It's about to happen right now. It's very interesting as we see chapters 1 through 12. But now the part I really want to focus on is Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 through 21. The part where Ezekiel was designated as a watchman. In Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 16 it starts. At the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin. And I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns from the righteousness and does evil, I put a stumbling block before him, he will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die for his sin. The righteous thing he did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the righteous man not to sin, and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning, and you will have saved yourself. Here God is telling Ezekiel his responsibility. He tells him that I have made you a watchman. God was sending Ezekiel to the people with the message. And he was to communicate to them on what they needed to do and what God was about to do to Jerusalem. But God also added something to it. He said, you are a watchman and you're going to be held accountable. What, what exactly is a watchman? A watchman in the Bible were guards responsible for protecting towns and military installations from surprise enemy attacks and other potential dangers. Ancient Israel cities often stationed watchmen on high walls or in watchtowers. The job was to keep watch and warn the townspeople of impending threats. Ezekiel was commissioned to keep watch and warn. If he did not warn them, he would be held 
accountable. Think about that. God was telling this individual, Ezekiel, to do something. And a lot of times we think when God tells us to do something that we have options. Well, let me think about it, God. Let me weigh the pros and cons. Or maybe I will when I have time or when my life gets a little more settled, then maybe I'll do what you would have me to do. I feel like a lot of us have that mentality. We think that we have an option. Well, when the opportunity rises, I'll, I'll just take advantage of it. Or if anybody asks me, I'll tell them I'm a Christian or tell them about Jesus. But I'm not going to force myself. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want people to be mad at me. I don't want to upset any family members or, or co-workers or get in trouble at work or, or something like that. We feel like we have an option. Ezekiel was not given an option. In fact, this is very interesting. God told him, if you do not warn them, you will be held accountable. What exactly does that mean to what extent? I'm not sure. But it doesn't sound good. One thing about Ezekiel, he was faithful. He went and he did everything God told him to do. And the amazing thing about Ezekiel is as we go through the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, where God would tell people to do something, it's interesting to see people's reaction. Because sometimes they don't feel like doing it and they'll get in an argument with God. Moses, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Jonah didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And so there's different reaction to him. But in Ezekiel, he had a pretty hard job. And as we read through, we see all the things that he had to experience. One of the first things, he had to lay on his side, the same side, for 390 days. You should try it. I know I'm getting old, but I can tell when I don't turn over in the middle of the night or something like that, I wake up and my body, I can tell it. And I'm on a very soft bed. But you don't hear any complaining from Ezekiel. He is just doing whatever God told him to do. He's a watchman. He was supposed to look out and he's supposed to warn the people when danger was coming. Any threats to them, he was supposed to warn the people. Well, we are commissioned to keep watching warm. I think, and we see this throughout Scripture, because God sometimes goes a little slower. We sometimes think it's not going to happen. And the people of Judah, they thought that too. God was telling them judgment is coming and all this bad stuff is going to happen. I'm going to destroy the the temple and the leaders and all this slaughter is going to happen. And you're going to be scattered. And they might have finally believed it. They said, yeah, that probably is going to happen. The direction we're going, yeah, it's probably going to happen. But it's not going to happen now. It's going to happen way later. 
And I feel like as, as Christians, we sort of think, well, yeah, we read Daniel and Revelations, maybe, and we understand that times are going to get crazy at the end times, but that's not now. That's going to happen way, way in the distance. Well, you know, there's going to be one generation where Revelation will be fulfilled. You know that, right? How do you know it's not our generation? I would have been with most of the Christians five or six years ago. I know when I was growing up and began studying Revelation, even remember when I was 18. I start reading all the things that are going to happen and start looking at things going on in the world. I was thinking, hmm, there's a chance maybe my kids could possibly see the return of Jesus. They may see the one world government. They may see these other things. Because that may be 40, 50 years down the road. But now when I look at how fast things can change, my attitude is a little different. America, the world has changed a lot in the last couple of years. There's a lot of crazy things going on. And now instead of thinking it may be years down the road, we need to be looking and thinking, Revelation, it might happen tomorrow. We don't know, but what we do know is we are commissioned, just like Ezekiel, is we need to warn others. If we see a danger coming, we need to warn them. Watch and warn. There are some things I show from the pulpit, which I really... I don't enjoy uh, showing it, but I feel like it's necessary. You need to see what's going on in the world. Last week, I showed you some things about furries. And a lot of it's not good. And even there's a lot of the whole transgender thing and inappropriate things that I feel like I'm exposing you to. But you got to know what's going on in the world. You got to know what's going on around you. You got to know what's even going on in your city. You need to be aware of things. Keep watch. Don't play ignorant. Don't put your head in the sand because we are responsible to keep watch, but then we're also responsible to warn. I don't know how it looks in the heaven, and I don't know if we have any communication with other people outside of heaven when we get there. But I wonder how many of us, if it did happen this way, when we got to heaven, if people in hell could communicate to us, I wonder how many would come up to us. People that we've known, maybe it's co-workers, maybe it's friends, maybe it's family members, would come up to us and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? And we may say, but I did that one time, I I said that one sentence to you, remember, and you got mad? Yeah, but you didn't say it over and over again. You didn't emphasize it. You could have been more persuasive in telling me. You could have been more perseverant in telling me. We are commissioned to keep watching and warn. And the thing about it, if Christians aren't warning people about the judgment of God coming, who is going to warn them? 
And don't make any mistake there. The judgment of God is coming. I hate being the bearer of bad news. But I read God's word. And every time people, nations, whoever disobey God, the judgment of God comes. Especially to those who claim to be followers of God. Like you almost get the impression that God will be more likely to spare a heathen nation than he is the nation of Israel because he expects more from them. You sort of get that feeling. Now we'll see later on that he gets the heathen nations too and judgment will come on them. But he starts at the temple first. He starts with the people that's supposed to be his followers first because they're not doing right. And any time that happens, the judgment of God does come. Now, when does it come? I don't know. But I don't think we have an excuse not to warn people because it may not happen tomorrow. But then again, it may happen tomorrow. I found this thing and I thought it was very interesting. It says the world has redefined the word love. I don't know if you can read it. Print's a little small, but I'll read it to you. It says it now means acceptance of all false religions. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe it with all your heart. It also means tolerance of all sinful behavior. Danielle sent me a thing yesterday or the day before on Andy Stanley. Julie and I, we lived, our family lived in Georgia for a while. And we would go to Charles Stanley's church. If you're like me, you might have grew up listening to Charles Stanley on the radio. Good, godly man, great preacher. You can get great insights from him. His son's a little different, though. Uh, maybe just as popular today with the younger people. But his theology is definitely different. But he's not the only one. We have a lot more that are tolerant of sinful behavior. It's really funny in the thing I listened to on Andy Stanley. He was sort of promoting the idea we need to accept homosexuals in the church. And he gave a story about a man and wife that separated or got a divorce and then the, the husband ended up uh, going into the homosexual lifestyle and would bring his partner to church. And then it so ended up that um, this husband's partner wanted to be on one of the committees at church. And Andy Stanley said he couldn't be on a committee because his divorce hadn't went through yet. So therefore, he was living in adultery. So he was quick to point out that adultery is wrong. Being married to one person and living with another is wrong. But then after that, after the divorce got taken care of, then it was okay for him to be in that homosexual relationship and be on his committees. It's very interesting, the double standard there. Adultery is a sin, but homosexual is not a sin. Well, how did, where did you get that adultery was a sin? Is that from the same Bible that says homosexuality is a sin? 
But we're living in a day and age where love now means tolerance of all sinful behavior. And I'll say another note on this, which I think, I know it's hard as Christians because you don't want to offend people. And when you do bring up something, people can get very mad and nasty. And you almost think, oh, it's not just worth it. I don't want to get another argument or so forth. But one thing about it, if you do love and care about people, you will give them, we'll say in a minute, you give them truth. But you will make sure and let them know their behavior, if it's sinful, it only brings despair. You don't tell a, a homosexual person that they need to get out of homosexuality just because this book says so. You tell them because your creator designed you not for that. And if you go against a creator, there's very bad consequences for you externally and also internally. So when you tell people to stop their sinful behavior or to get out of their sinful lifestyle, you do it for their benefit, for their good, because you do love them. But if you don't love them, the best thing you can do is just accept it all. Uh, Tolerance of all sinful behavior, then you have a tolerance of false doctrines. One thing that the Southern Baptists have always done is they've been very... Very good at pointing out other beliefs that are false. And stick to God's word. But I think what you're seeing now, you're seeing that fading out a little bit. Where they're not so strict about things. I, I was at one of our uh, universities a few years ago, a Baptist university. and was talking to some of the people there in the religious department. And they had all sorts of people teaching in their religious department. From all different denominations. And some of them had beliefs and doctrines that didn't fit with the Southern Baptists. And in some instances may have been even non-biblical. But nowadays you can't say that. You can't pick on somebody or you can't say another set of beliefs is wrong. But you should if it's wrong. Know what you believe. Know what's right. Know what's true. And make sure you recognize false doctrines and stand up against it. Tolerance of false doctrines and you have a refusal to rebuke and expose anyone. And then at the bottom, never offend anyone with truth. You know, in the education environment, there's this idea of a new type of education. Well, you bring kids in and you can have everything set up in your classroom, different centers for the kids to, uh, to do. Maybe over here is math and there's literature. Maybe over there's art and, and over here is music or something like that. And maybe here's a little science section. What you do is you can just let the kids do whatever they want. Well, whatever they enjoy doing is what we're going to let them do and we're just going to let them do more of it. Hey, if you like to write, we'll just focus on your writing and let you write, 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 write and get awesome at writing or if you enjoy the science over here then just come to the science but guess what happens when that happens they miss out on all the other subjects the student isn't the one who gets to decide what they need to learn imagine going into a room of kindergartners and ask them what do you want to learn today How many of them are going to raise their hands? I want to know my letters. I want to know my colors. I want to learn the alphabet. You think they'd say any of those? Probably not. 
They'll probably want to play games or sing or dance or, or, or do silly stuff. And, and they just probably want to have fun. But the teacher, the wisest one, should be telling them, okay, this is what you need to do. And we expect them to do it. And when they do it, then they're better off for it. At the end of the year, they will know everything that they need to know in all those subjects. I tell you that because God gives us directions. We're like little kids in the classroom. If it's up to us, what do we do? Well, we'll do the easy stuff. Well, I want to go over here and play, or I want to, I want to play that video game, or I want to watch that cartoon. We want to do the fun, easy stuff. I don't want to do the hard stuff. I don't want to sit down and try to learn how to count and learn math facts. That's not fun. So I want to do what I want to do. And I think what has happened to Christianity is we started doing that. We do what we want to do. And then what happens, the result is, is we don't get everything that we need to get. Christians need to have a different mindset. We need to be sold out to God. We need to understand that God is our teacher. He's our guider. He's our director. He's our boss. We do what He tells us to do. Follow Ezekiel's example. Even if you don't understand it, I think I would have had a tr- trouble with the first one. Lay on your side for 390 days. Well, let's talk about that, God. Number one, that doesn't sound like fun. Sounds a little painful. By the way, do I get a bed? Do I get a, some kind of cushion there? It's going to hurt my hip after a while. I know it is. Am I eating? Am I going to the bathroom? What happens there, God? Besides, why am I doing it? I can probably think of a better way to do it where it's not as inconvenient for me. And we can have all these excuses when we just need to have the attitude of obedience. Do what God tells you to do. I feel like a lot of us, we're almost like kids, we have selective hearing. So when God calls us for dessert, we hear that every time. But when God calls us to do chores, we're like, what, what? Can't hear you, God. You got to speak louder. Did you say something? I feel like we're in the same boat as Ezekiel. We have work to do. We have a responsibility to tell others the truth. Not our truth, not even our opinion, not even our perspective, but truth from God's word. And what you got to understand, when you do that, you show Love to others. And the way you don't show love is to let people continue down a track of sin. Down a pathway of sin. The truth is how you get set free. The truth is how you get peace and a relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe we, are, we have a responsibility. I believe we are commissioned to be watchmen ourselves. And I think it's to the point where anybody can be on the wall looking out there. They see an army's there. I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, but I just thought of it. If I would have thought about it earlier, I would have put a picture of a picture from one of the movies, The Lord of the Rings. Or it's a great scene in the movie where uh, they're at this place called Helm's Deep and they're all barricaded in this castle like structure. 
And then they look out there and they just see the enemy out there as far as the eye could see. Thousands and thousands of the enemy right outside their walls. And that wasn't a time for them to go take a nap or or go eat or, or go discuss what should be done. That was a time for them to warn the people or to get the arms and to stand up and fight. And I feel like it's so obvious we can just look out there and see it's time to battle. And as Christians, it's our our responsible to battle. And the way you battle for us really is you tell the truth. Started the service with I speak Jesus. That's the answer to the solution. It's not who's president. It's not any of our politicians. I'm an active voter and I will vote in every single election I can and I'll try to pick the best people I can. But my faith and hope is not in any politician. It's not in any person here on earth at all. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in God. And we need to do everything that God tells us to do. We need to obey His Word. We need to abstain from evil. And we need to warn others of judgment. God judges sin. He will judge sinful nations. Honestly, He judges sinful people. And a lot of that is He just backs off and lets lets you reap what you sow. I think we've got work to do. But as a Christian, we've got to make sure this is this is what we're here for. This is our purpose. This is our mission. And let's do it. Let's do it with all our heart and with all the fever that we can. I think all of us need to probably be sold out to God a little bit more. Jesus doesn't mean that much to us as He should. There is hope. And there's hope because Jesus lives I pray today that you will see the urgency and the importance of what we need to do. We are watchmen. We need to watch. We need to warn. And we need to share the hope of Jesus Christ. Dr. Shane Perez hopes this lesson encourages you and equips you to minister to others with your walk as a Christian. We would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at standfirmministries at yahoo.com. 